this is Lewis Johnson taking my love of sports into the world of esports with my co-host Kyle Airy, and we're breaking down what's happening in the esports industry. We're talking with great guests, influencers, and most importantly, we want to talk to you. So welcome to All In With Esports. Hey everybody, Lewis Johnson, welcome back for another episode on the MAP Esports Podcast Network. Looking forward to another great conversation. And I'm excited today because we're actually in studio at Innovation Media Enterprises. So big shout out to our partners, Sia and Aaron with Innovation Media Enterprises. They are our partners and we they do a great job. Let me tell you, we've been doing so many podcast uh, tapings over Zoom because of COVID. So this is the first time I've been able to come in and sit across the table from somebody that I can't wait to introduce you to. And that's going to happen here in just a second. But I need, to, I need to talk with you for just a second. All right, look, we've all been going through a lot, right? And life is, is, is such a journey, am I right? And that's not just a phrase, it's real. Mm-hmm. And uh, have you ever just sat back and examined your journey, thought about your life, the best of it, the worst moments, and how all of that has come together at the moment of your examination? Have you done that? And just really just embrace it all, everything. And don't compare it to anybody else's. It's just your own journey. When have you ever done that? That's what I love about covering the Olympics because we talk about the journey of the individual athlete. But when have you sat down? And I think during this COVID pandemic, it's a great time to sit down and be still and think about your journey and embrace it. Stop looking at everybody else and talk about what's happening to you. Think about it. My guest today is on an amazing life journey that is not just connected to esports. He is esports for himself, for his students that are under his tutelage, and uh, the entrepreneurial fire, fire that fuels him in everyday life. I've been around him for 24 hours, and the fire is on me. I'm telling you, it's just unbelievable. And we're talking video games, sports, music, and entertainment. He loves them all. And I'm talking about Dr. Mark Williams, Global Scholar Practitioner at Florida Memorial University, sitting two feet away from me. Mark, what's up? How are you doing? I'm good, brother. How you All doing? All right, man. I'm great. I'm great. It's so great to see you in person. And as I mentioned, we, we we do a lot of these things over Zoom. And so we're seeing each other sort of there, but it's not the same. All right. This is awesome. And your journey, man, is unbelievable. We're going to go through a lot of it today and how it all connects back to esports. You're doing some unbelievable things at the at your university right now with these esports masterclasses and helping students get themselves into paid internships, all kinds of opportunities to look at how they can advance beyond just gaming, Mm -hmm. but also into the science, the STEM and STEAM of it, science, technology, engineering and math, and of Mm -hmm. course, art. We are all about that at Mappy Sports Network. And of course, on my show, we're talking about those things as well. We've got some other great podcasts on our network that are really getting more in depth into the technology, Mm -hmm. into the business side of things. But here we're talking more about the journey, which is why I started the show that we today. When we look at your journey, it is just amazing from the things that you told me about your early life Mm -hmm. to where you are right now as doctor, PhD, doctor Mm -hmm. Mark Williams and having such an impact on so many people. First of all, before we go back, just right now, how are you doing? How is life? How are things and COVID teaching, traveling, even through all that? How how are you doing? Well, 
um, it's, I have my granola bar, so I'm happy. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and we got our cocoa butter in, and so yeah. we got our water and everything. Yeah. So I'm good. I think coming to Dallas and being around you and, and everyone, it's been great. You and I, we we shared a similar ve- journey in terms of the track and field, S- similar friends. The funny thing is that we've been in the same place uh, many times, but we've never t- talked and met. Right. And I thought one day, I always see you interviewing all the great track athletes, and I'm always going back in time, looking, thinking about, when like, you ever watch Martin Lawrence when he has these dream sequences or something yeah. and I'm always imagining Lewis Johnson should be interviewing me now oh wait a minute I didn't run that fast so he's not going to interview me now right. he's interviewing me and so right. my dreams are coming true so it's a, ble- a pleasure to be here back in Dallas my, definitely my favorite city I know folks in Miami are like wait a minute what about us no we, I love you Miami Dallas is a city I lived in for three years and I loved it here when I was working for Foot Action so it's it's great to be back here in Dallas yeah we're glad to have you here it was great to get this thing going from a phone call to you being here for an event that unfortunately got canceled but of course, things roll on and you're staying for a couple of days and we get a chance to chat, talk business, talk esports, talk talk life, talk everything. So let's step back, Mark, uh, mm-hmm. before we get to talking about what you're doing now and, and go back to your early years. You told me an inc- incredible story about your dad, Sanford, who was a professor, and then your mom, Constance, who you said was great with networking and connecting the dots. Mm-hmm. By the way, you said they just celebrated 54 years of marriage. That's unbelievable. Yes. Yes. But what was it about them, the professor and the one who was able to connect the dots and with people, what did you get from both of them that made you? I think with my dad growing up, watching him speak, he spoke a lot. He was on a word tour as well. So watching him speak, I, I never thought I would be a speak. I would never speak. I would never thought I would speak in public. And he would always encourage me to, to enter an oratory contest when we were in school, or he'd encourage me to do more presentations. And I'm like, for what? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I was watching him the whole time, but I didn't realize that it would rub off on me. And then and the gregarious part of him of being out and speaking to people and having a good personality. I get that from my dad. Then my mother, the business acumen and the just the way that she communicates with people and uh, the networking piece, because she was always the, cur- the person to teach us about say yes, no, thank you, please, thank you cards and things of that nature. So I learned that from her. And I think over the years, I've been able to put both of them together. And again, I, I wound up creating what I've created for my career. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And when you told me about them, I said, wow, I see both of them in you, right? <laughs> the professor, obviously, and the one who connects the dot with people. You're a people person, yeah. without a doubt. And I think all those attributes from them are now a part of your story. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. You talked about your family being, everyone being athletic, right? Mm-hmm. Your parents and siblings, people were academic all-stars. But not you so much early in terms of the academic part. So give give me a sense of the mix of the athletic and then the academics and how that was going early. Yeah. So for me, my siblings were academic rock stars. My brother graduated high school at 15. At uh, 15? At 15, yeah. Wow. And went to Cornell at 15. And my sister went went to Cornell at 15? At 15, yeah. Oh, you already under the bus. You're like, how am I going to do that? Yeah. And he's two years older than me before grades ahead of me. Unbelievable. So you have that. And and you don't think that that plays a role in your psychology when you're growing up mm-hmm. people, parents and people don't think that they think that you're just going to exist right. and it doesn't and the interesting thing about my parents is that they never compared us never and they were young parents so my dad and mom got married when they were 22 and 20 uh, years old respectively and so for them to have the fortitude to, to make sure that when, when they had children at 23 24 years old that they were going to be able to 
teach us not only right from wrong, but be able to get us to believe in ourselves without comparing each other. And then my sister, she graduated high school at 16 and went to Spelman. And uh, so she was in the same grade as my brother. So she skipped a grade. So they're a year apart. And so it was interesting between those two. They used to think my sister was older than my brother because she was acting more mature at times. And then my brother, obviously, they he just, they just looked at my brother and said, okay, he's just on another planet. So I'm right. doing his thing. <laughs> and me, I was the one, I was the athletic one, but I was the one that was not serious about school. I just wasn't. And yeah. I think parents and, and teachers have to give people, young people, an opportunity to develop who they are because every, every child is not the same. And you have to understand that they, they grow and they change it as they get older, but their personalities are formed. And my mom and dad watched me closely. They said, okay, he's different. They all are different in different ways. So we've got to encourage them differently. Mm-hmm. And the thing that, that I got me was that I was the one that was comparing myself to everybody. Right. Not not the other way around. And so my parents now, even then, they'll say, didn't we tell you that if you just run your race and stay in your lane, yeah. you're going to be fine. Yeah. But unfortunately, parents sometimes, they like to compare and, and, and people, we, we like to, we're a compar- comparison society. I'm lucky to have parents that I had, you know? Yeah. And you know what? For any parent that's driving in their car, listening to this podcast, you just drop so many nuggets. Okay. So many nuggets. We could stop right there <laughs> for any parent who's listening to this podcast because you got your kids at home. You got one doing this and the other one looks like he's in left field or she's crazy, whatever it may be. And that's not the case. Yeah. It's just a matter of trying to find a way to help them discover their passion. And mm-hmm. obviously you got to keep the guardrails up. But the non-comparison thing that you just said is huge. Yeah. That's exactly what we do in society right now. Right. Yes. I think it's one of the greatest dangers of, of the smartphone. Though. I call it the dumb phone. Yeah. That's what I call it with that to athletes when I'm doing media training. I say it's a dumb phone. It's an inanimate object. It's not alive. Mm. It only does what you tell it to do. Wow. So don't let the psychology be flipped on you so that it runs you. You run it. Yes. Right. Yes. And I think that's the same thing with comparing getting online and all the, all these social media, all social media platforms. And you're trying to want to look like this and sound like that and whatever, man, that's just so dangerous because it's, it's hard enough. Right. Yes. 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 So that's beautiful that young parents saw that you were different and they needed to help you run that. You were doing well academically. And then you went to Texas uh, A&T Greensboro, right? North Carolina A&T. North Carolina A&T. Okay, great. So so when I left high school, I had the 2.4. And then I had, let's see, my my, uh, SATs were under 500. And you get 200 for signing your name, right? right? right. (laughs) ACTs were under 10. So I was horrible taking tests. Mm -hmm. And we grew up in this affluent suburban community. But I wasn't the one that did well in the tests. Mm -hmm. And so when it came to sports, I excelled in that, but my father at the time, they had this thing called Proposition 48. Yeah, Prop 48. Prop 48, yep. where they say that you couldn't play sports if you had under 700 SATs or you had under 2.5. Mm-hmm. So my father didn't want his black son labeled. So he sent him and my mother sent me to Tuskegee University in, in Montgomery, Alabama. And I went there and I had a 3.9. And because I wanted to play sports again. Right. So they took away, imagine <clears throat> you, you being at the height of your you know existence, I guess, in high school, thinking that you're going to do something great in sports. Yeah. And it gets taken away from you. And it's not injury related. It's like you can't play because your grades were not good. Right. And I left Tuskegee. Um, they said you, you can transfer anywhere. And I want to transfer to North Carolina A&T. Three and a half years I'm there. I'm, I'm thinking I'm doing well, but I'm not doing well academically. I had a 1.7. I had to drop out of school. A 1.7? 1.7. So you went from a 2.4 in high school to Tuskegee where you got a 3.9, yes. and then you transfer, and you think you're doing great, and all of a sudden you're 1.7. I knew I wasn't doing great, man. Yeah, yeah, but you didn't know it was 1.7. <laughs> no. I, what, what, yeah. happened, what happened then? I think the problem was I didn't know how to mix. I didn't know how to balance academics and athletics. And I got so caught up doing that. And, I, and it wasn't partying. It wasn't, it wasn't any of that. It was just that I was not serious about school. Yeah. 
And, and when I got home, I was like 20, 20, 21 years old. And when I got home, you have a father and mother that like the Cosby show, they would eat dinner together as a family. That that didn't exist anymore because my siblings are now graduating like 30 times over and over again. <laughs> yeah. And then we didn't have the smartphone. We had the rotary phone. So I, who am I going to call? I couldn't call my friends to, to talk about this. So I wound up, I think I went into a depression. I wasn't suicidal, nothing like that. It's just that I stayed to myself because I wasn't talking to my parents. I didn't have anyone to talk to. So then one day I started walking. And then it turned into a jog. Then it turned into a run. And I'm, now I'm running five and 10 Ks and I'm meeting the organizers of these events and they're all corporate executives. And yeah. they're asking me, I'm probably the only black person at these events. Right. And I see these white corporate CEOs and vice presidents saying, hey, you you seem like you're a sensible guy. We'd love to have you work with our company. What, what college did you go to? Where'd you? Go? I didn't graduate. You need, you should graduate. We'd love for you to work at this work with us. And that was the impetus for me to really thinking about my future. And when I, my parents obviously believed in me, but then having other executives seeing something else in me and saying, "Go back to school, young man." Yeah. And I decided to go back to school in the fall of '94. And I stayed at my grandmother's house, and I took three buses and a train to go to William Patterson University in Wayne, New Jersey. And I, I, I had a different mentality, different thought process at 23 yeah. than I had at 20. Did you feel, and I think you may have used this word, did you feel at one point you had embarrassed your family? Yes. And and and, and this, this was part of the rectifying of that yes. as well as trying to get your own feet on your, on, on your, under yourself? Yes, I, I felt embarrassed. They never said it. In families, sometimes they, they like to keep uh, things a secret mm-hmm. from the other extended family. And people thought I had a car accident or something. They didn't know yeah. what I did. They didn't yeah. know anything. And so it was really frustrating being around, rel- around relatives. Hey, Mark, how'd your car accident? And, it, and not necessarily indipotence because a few years later, years later, I had a car accident. But I'm like, you be careful when you put things in the universe. Well, that's right. right? And <laughs> so that happened. And I was, it was a point where I, the, my degree from William Patterson was for my parents. It wasn't for me. It was for them mm-hmm. because it was my way of saying, I'm sorry. I want to, I want to show you that I can do it. And when I graduated, I, I graduated, you know, with high honors and, and took it seriously. Yeah. But, uh, but, but, but my other degrees were for me the other ones but but that was for them to show them like i I care and i believe in believe in what you taught me in education i think there's something else beautiful that you just said there as well i hope people picked it up is 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 that your folks didn't want to tell everybody what had happened because that needed to stay within the house right they were protecting you to to make sure that even in a vulnerable situation where you felt bad and felt embarrassed they Mm -hmm. still didn't want those outside eyes staring at you and making you feel bad i'm a firm believer Mm-hmm. and practice there's some things that need to stay within the four walls of your own house yes i don't care who it is beyond mom and dad and kid whatever nobody else needs to know that right because you're working through things right. and people don't know all the details right. and they don't need to know all the details yes. right they're on a need-to-know basis yes okay i'm just keeping it real yes and i think that they understood that they needed to protect you as you figure things out i'm a firm believer in that and i think that that's so important that we protect our kids yes as they try to navigate situations and circumstances where people on the outside don't understand it right and they don't need to understand it it's yes. none of their damn business. That's where I'm going to keep. That's why I'm going to keep it really real. Okay, yeah, you got to protect your kids. I believe that. It's interesting you say it because as as I got older, I started realizing, man, they were really wise beyond their years. Yeah, because they were young and they they weren't they didn't have examples of my father came from a single parent family, so he didn't have an example of a of a dad or a man in the house, and so he he didn't see any of this. Right, my mother had an example. She had her dad growing up, but they got divorced. My grandmother, my grandfather got divorced when they were my, mm-hmm. my mother was sixteen. But my father didn't have any of that for them to get together that young and have this vision and how they wanted their kids to be and what kind of environments they were going to be in. But then also had the mental state of mind of, okay, 
they, we're, they, they're going through this. We're going through this as a family. This is the best way we're going to handle it. And I think a lot of families do that. But now it just seems because the social media is out there, people are constantly putting their business out there, letting people know what's going on. And they don't, and I think people don't get a chance to process anything. And when you have it out in social media all the time. So I'm very happy looking back at it now that my mom and dad protected me from that. Absolutely. Having a great conversation here with Dr. Mark Williams uh, on another episode of All In With Esports. Hope you're enjoying. Let's go back to this, this really resurrection of your academic career, which right. really was like a launching pad into your life as to where you are now as a professor, teacher, lover of esports, uh, someone who's involved with gaming on a regional, national, and soon-to-be global basis. When you went back to uh, William Patterson in New Jersey, you talked about things turning around. You said you became a resident advisor in a dorm. Mm -hmm. You were the first black student on the board of trustees. Yeah, at so, the school. So I had to do my research. Dennis Roberts was the first. I was the second. So who was I, that? Dennis Roberts. Okay, sure. So Dennis, give right. Dennis his props. Very but good. I was a. He made it. He made it cool to to want to be on the board of trustees when I when I was when I got there as a. I guess now as a sophomore because I lost a lot of credits because my grades weren't good enough right. to get they, they had to transfer over. I had to enter as a sophomore, and I went to the the seniors award banquet, and I remember Dennis Roberts getting the awards for student leader of the year, and it, black man walking up getting this the, the biggest award on campus, mm -hmm. and I remember watching him, and I said, I want that. I want to do that. I want to have. I want people to respect me by the time I finish here. Mm -hmm. I did not know how I was going to do it, but I said I wanted that. And then when it came time for me to to run for office, I ran for that office and won. And and my name is engraved in three buildings on that campus now because really? I was on the board. And so look, going back to school and seeing that. It's, it's chilling. It's, and it's uh, William Patterson being on the board of trustees taught me the business acumen. It taught me about Robert's Rules of Order, how to conduct meetings. Being a resident assistant taught me really how to hone my skills in terms of dealing with people from different cultures. And then being uh, the leadership stuff, I was my, my, my fraternity, uh, Sigma Nu, our Sigma Nu chapter, I was one of the founding members of that as well. And this is for the Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity. Uh, yes, right. absolutely. So for me, it was, it was everything that I learned in school there prepared me for graduate school and everything else in my career. Yeah, so yeah. I owe a great deal of gratitude to William Patterson. Yeah, it's beautiful, man. A Kappa man and an Alpha man can sit across and have Absolutely. a great conversation about Absolutely. that. Huh? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. I, and I got respect for Elder Watson Diggs. There and you go. Pie, so I, I know my history. I love dog. it. I love it. You I appreciate know I know it. My I history, appreciate man. it. Come on, yeah. man. And I was a I was an RA as well. So at University of Cincinnati, where I pledged and went to school and ran track, Dabney Hall was the athletic dorm, mm -hmm. and I I I started my my time my experience there walking by the window of a, my buddy from high school who ran track, Doug Wiseman, who used to encourage me to come back and walk on the team. And it took me two years to finally say, okay. But three years later, I was an RA in that same dorm looking over the basketball team. And then there was some swimmers or whatever it is. Man, that was some of the craziest stuff I'd ever seen, man. <laughs> I saw so much stuff happen. I'm like, you know what? If I was that kind of guy, some half of you guys wouldn't be playing tomorrow because I see this, I see that. I'm like, please stop. Don't do that. Clean it up. Please take the, please, please take all the beer out of the sinks with full of ice there in the, yes. in the bathroom. We can't yeah. do that here. Yeah. Where did you get all this? Yes. Never mind. Don't answer that question. So yeah. it was a great experience. It really was. You really learned a lot about leadership and about being in, 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 in responsible for a lot of things. You did some research on with the, with, at the university of Nebraska. Give us a sense of that. And then how yeah. you met Dr. Richard Lapchick. Yes. 
Okay. And how he changed your life with a couple of comments from a podium in front of 2,000 people. I love that you do your research. This is awesome. Yeah. We had a great count. You and I had a great Come conversation. On, yeah. I know you do your thing. <laughs> so now I'm taking notes here. Okay. How do I make sure that I'm doing this when I do my I'm, show? I'm bringing the Olympic standard to this show. I know you are. The and Olympic I love it. standard. I love it. Whatever you do, you should bring the high standard. Yes, yes. And I learned the highest standards covering the Olympics at NBC. Wow. When I went to my first games, I'm like, what's the mandate? What am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. And at that, re- at that seminar, they said, we want you to be storytellers. We want to hear you say, I talked to so-and-so and he told me or she told me this. That's the mandate. Wow. And, and so that's why we have a pre-conversation before we do this. And that's why when, when I mentioned Bob Costas, I'm like, that, yeah. I'm sure that's the standard. You absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so. the interesting thing was I, when I was in my second year, my first year, William Patterson, I majored in sociology because none of the other schools wanted to take me because my grades were so bad. <laughs> so sociology <laughs> said, we'll take you. So d- shout out to Dr. Vince Perillo, the dean. He, he said, hey, come on in. And uh, that first year, Dr. Baumgartner, she said, hey, there's a conference at uh, Penn State. And then they said, here's a National Science Foundation grant. And you can go to Nebraska to study. And so I said, okay, I'll go to study in Nebraska. I would learn how to do research, qualitative and quantitative research. So I went, I got accepted. The 1.7 guy. The 1.7 guy. Yes, right. got accepted to now go to Nebraska for the summer of 95. And when I got there, nine was nine of us that were selected. And everyone did their research on discrimination and issue, issues around diversity. And I said, hmm, Nebraska just won a national title in football. I think I'm going to do it on football mm-hmm. and maybe something around race and culture. And people were looking at me like I was crazy. They're like, you know, what you're going to walk into Tom, Dr. Tom Osborne's office, Hall of Fame, future Hall of Fame coach, and you're going to ask him to do research. And I said, better yet, I'm going to call his assistant because everybody doesn't understand a gatekeeper to anyone is That's the administrative right. assistant. That's right. Right. That's right. So I called her up. And I said, uh, I'd like to speak to Tom, Dr. Tom Osborne. And she was like, he's busy. And <laughs> he just won a national title. They've got all his media uh, requests. And the season's about to start. So uh, what, who am I to do that? Now, uh, that jersey was in me. I had that jersey attitude. I got the alpha attitude. I got this mentality. I'm going to talk to Dr. Osborne. And I, I called her one time and she said, I said, where are you from? And she told me where she was from. I said, you got a beautiful accent. And she said, bless your heart. That's all I had to say. <laughs> and that was it. That was it. And yeah. then she was like, uh, you know what? Let me see when Dr. Osborne's available. There you go. And then I met him. And uh, within three minutes, Dr. Osborne said, he has a doctorate in psychology. Mm-hmm. He said, I'd, I'd be privileged and honored for you to come and work with our football team and do your research. And I did. And when I did it, I got a chance to look at how black and white football players from a national championship team, how they look at career career paths and, and how do they go about selecting their careers. My work got published in two journals as an undergrad, mm-hmm. the 1.7 guy. Yeah. So I went from being told for a long time that I couldn't write to now getting a chance to get published in two journals as an undergrad. Yeah. Okay. I went to this conference, the Eastern Sociological Conference, and Dr. Richard Lapchick was uh, the keynote speaker in front of 1,200 people. I was, and we need to remind people who he is. So. Dr. Lapchick, is, he is considered the, I guess, they call him the, the social conscious of sport. Right. And so, and he writes the report card every year yes. uh, that, that, that gives a report on race and balance and, I guess, Title IX issues as Title well. Title IX, yes. Yeah, within the collegiate sport ranks, and the professional sport, yep. sport, sport ranks, and everybody's looking to have a good grade, an A, maybe a B, right. from Dr. Richard Lapchick's, uh, Lapchick's uh, report card every year. I, I had a, the chance to moderate a, a conversation with him about two months ago, okay. about a month ago, mm-hmm. and it was an honor and a privilege 
privilege for me in, mm-hmm. in my career to be able to speak with a man like that and ask him questions that he could articulate it on a thing. Yeah, very powerful. So anyway. Yeah, so he was, he, when I did my research, him and Dr. Harry Edwards were the two people that consistently came up in my research when I was doing all my research on race and class and gender uh, in sport. And Dr. Uh, Harry Edwards was the person that was instrumental with John Carlos and Tommy Smith in yes. the 68 Olympics. Right. He was a professor at San Jose State that got them to, and, and at Berkeley, I believe, and got them to raise their fists in the air in the 68 Olympics. So, I, so I'm writing about two iconic men, uh, one black, one white. And and so I saw Dr. Dr. Lapchick before his speech, and I said, I'm getting ready to present. Can you come and hear me talk? And again, what makes me think that I can get this man to come and hear me talk, as, as, as profound as he is, I, I got Tom Osborne to talk to me, so I figured I could get him. Yeah. And he came and sat in the front row. And of course, I only had nine people in my presentation because <laughs> I was a college student still. And I'm reading my, my research, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, research done by Lapchick, and he's sitting in the front row. Yeah. And I'm referencing him. So you and, quoted him in your research, right? Yes. <laughs> and I, he, I'm looking at him every time I say it. He smiles at me like a proud father. <laughs> and then when he goes and speaks in front of the thousands of people at the conference, they're all educators. And uh, he began his he began his uh, his speech and said, I just came from a presentation with a young man that I think is going to change sport in the future. He said, Mark Williams, stand up. And I stood up. And by the time I sat down, there was about six business cards there from wow. different um, educators, from the president of Harvard to the dean of the college, the dean of the College of Sociology at Chicago. That's the birthplace of sociology is a, is, a, is is University of Chicago. I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah. So for me, I'm like, wow. Princeton, UMass, yes, all these places, UMass, right? Yeah. So they were all there, left their business cards, and just, just I tell people, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. Yeah. And when when someone validates you, that is empowering, it's reassuring. I mean, again, I'm the one seven guy now, considered to be potential researcher. Yeah. And so that did a lot for my confidence. Yeah. As we con- continue to talk about the journey in your life that led you to esports, which is where you are now, we're going to get to that in just a second. But once again. It is so important early on in life that we somehow keep our feet on the ground as we navigate difficulties and challenges and our own particular personalities, strengths and weaknesses, mm-hmm. not comparing them to other people. And mm-hmm. in today's age with our kids, allowing them to uh, have this experience with social media, but not allowing it to take over right. yes. and make them believe they have to live up to this or that what they see you got to be you and your journey is explaining that for sure so you went on to to get a master's and then that led you into the working world for Reebok Right. But before the master's, I is when I was my I wound up choosing instead of doing a PhD, I went to UMass Amherst. So, of course, I've got to give a shout out to UMass Amherst. It was a uh, <laughs> number one program in the world at the time. And I believe still it is. And so I got a chance to get my master's in sport management from there. And Dr. Labchick's relationship, again, provided me my career because I got a chance to meet this gentleman named Pete Roby, who worked for Reebok. And by the time I graduated from graduate school, he became director from director to now vice president. And he offered me my first job at Reebok. Mm, awesome. And so that gave you the opportunity to go and travel and work with athletes like Allen Iverson. You mentioned going to London to see and manage Venus Williams. Mm-hmm. I remember meet, meeting her, their their father, many years ago, early in my career, before I actually was on the air. I went with a producer to Florida mm-hmm. and we were going down to, to interview Richard Williams. And it was raining outside and we couldn't do the interview outside, so we had to do it inside. And I just remember this 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 imposing figure mm-hmm. and this voice mm-hmm. and this personality. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> this man is completely in charge of what he's doing. Yes. Of his daughters. Yes. And the career that he expects them to have. Yes. And nobody's going to derail that. Yes. That's what I took from that room in 30 minutes. Wow. I didn't know who he was from Adam. 
But you get what I'm saying? But you're not surprised by their journey. Not at all. Right. Not at all. Incredible. Incredible. And, and, and it goes back to that. It goes back to your parents and what yes. they did. It goes back to mine. And it, hopefully ours, when we they'll go back and say, hey, it was because of them. Right. It's very powerful stuff. And then you went on to Foot Locker and you were national director there. You were touching music, sports and entertainment. What, what was that like? Yeah. So I went to when I was at uh, Reebok, I met a gentleman named uh, Sean Neville. He was another vice president. He became the CEO of a company called Foot Action. Now, Foot Action is now a division of Foot Locker. Mm -hmm. But at the time, it was it was uh, it was in another entity. So I worked for Foot Action. So when I was there, I got a chance to touch the music side of everything. Mm -hmm. And we were the first athletic retailer to ever work with music artists, landed me on the cover of Billboard magazine with, with, uh, with iconic hip hop artist Eve. Yes. So, so I'm a sports marketer and I'm on the cover of a music, the Bible of the music industry, yeah. Billboard magazine. Yeah. And so after that happened, I started getting phone calls from all of these record labels and all these executives to work with our artists from L.A. Reid to working with Outkast to working with Usher yeah. to, to then eventually working with Chris Brown. And, and uh, so it was just phenomenal to, right. to go through that. Yeah. Billboard magazine. That's incredible. And yeah. you talk about being on the cover with Eve for anybody who doesn't know who Eve is. Uh, barbershop. What did what the secretary say? She's a lady barber. Yes. Yeah, yes, you know, yes, is that yes, right? Yes, yes. I mean, she was the lady barber in the yeah, shop. Yeah, yeah, she exactly. Was, she was awesome. But before and, that, she was a uh, rough rider. So yeah. DMX. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that was fun. And yeah. and then working in that space, we when we worked for when I worked for Reebok, we were the first ones to work with work with uh, the Madden piece. And then throughout my career to get to the video game piece is that I was able to do product placement in over 50 video games. And I think and that gave me the the understanding about what what the industry was and is. It was no different from the sports industry except for it was video games. Yeah. And so I learned about it from the publishing side and also the marketing and branding side. So got a chance to work with Madden. I got a chance to work with NBA, Tiger Woods games. It was amazing the things yeah. that we were able to do. Arena football. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I worked I did arena football on NBC. That was a lot of fun. It was it was it then that the spark went off and you said, oh my goodness, there's something happening here with esports and I need to gravitate toward that. Or was no, it beforehand? No. Back in 2003, when we first did our first ever product placement, it was a game called Street Hoops under Activision. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time you had a game where you can outfit your players wearing you know, you know athletic apparel. And we were able to, to negotiate that with them, with them. And it was interesting. And it was a $32 uh, billion industry. Now it's what, almost 177, almost $200 billion industry. That yeah. was from 1980, two, uh, 2004 to now 2000. It's changed. So then I didn't, I didn't really think about the future of it yet. It wasn't until I was pursuing my PhD in 2012, there was a game called Dance Dance Revolution by Konami. Yep. And that's when I got a chance to consult with them. And they said, this is a way we can use this apparatus to get people to lose weight. And I said, okay. So I got a chance to go to Congress with them and petition to get some dollars to create an apparatus for young kids in inner cities to lose weight. Mm. And Michelle Obama at the time, President Obama's wife, she had this initiative that was that was out there that was really dealing with called Let's Move. Yeah, Let's Move. And yep. so I'm sitting there with this apparatus learning about how to get young people to lose weight with this, this new apparatus. And money was funded by Congress and I was, I was on cloud nine. But the problem was I was doing this thing about to do this thing called a dissertation. So I could not sit there and put my energy and time into that. Right. And then in 2017, Becker <clears throat> College up in Massachusetts, shout out to Dr. Alan Rattatico, he, he created the first ever business school for, for eSports, first major. And that's when universities around 2018 started saying, how do we get 
how do we create academics around this? The game is fun, but how do we get people thinking about careers in this space? Yeah. And then that's when I started thinking about my PhD is in what? Curriculum. Mm-hmm. And so maybe I can write curriculum for the schools once I learn about the nuances that they're looking for. Right. And so we fast forward to now mm-hmm. where you're at uh, Florida Memorial University, which is down in Miami. Mm-hmm. And you sent me a document, which is so very interesting. Dr. Mark's eSports Masterclass. Yes. What is that? The Masterclass came about because I realized that education is slow. Okay. It's not like corporate America where people move really fast and cut a check really fast. Academics is, look, if you want to create a major or do anything, you're going to have to, you know, go through a process. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people that want these quick buck artists that want to go and say, let's let's create something at a university, they're not going to cut a check to you. They, they want to know how are you going to uh, create a curriculum? How are you going about uh, educating their students and how are their students going to get jobs? And uh, how do you create, how do you increase enrollment, especially now during COVID? What, how do we differentiate ourselves? Yeah. So I created this thing called the symposium and masterclass. I would go into a university for two days and they would hire my company to come in and bring a symposium, bring in some of the senior executives from esports to talk about about the industry and so that people can understand it, whether it's from the, the students to the faculty to alumni to the community. The second thing was the master class. The master class was going to be six hours, and this all started when I was at the University of Florida. They asked me to come and be a visiting professor, and they said, the last day you're there, can you do like a six-hour course? And I'm thinking, what the heck am I going to talk about for, <laughs> for six, six hours? hours yeah. <laughs> yeah, other than you know, music, hip-hop, what am I going to talk about? And I, I thought about it, and I said, wait a minute, I can bring my friends from industry, and if it's going to be for maybe 20 to 30 students, we can customize it so they can learn about whatever that brand is. And then with after the first four hours of them learning about it, we can then say, here's an assignment, go create something, just like the movie, just like the TV show Shark Tank. Yep. And they would go into their private rooms and they would have four or five groups of students and they would present it to us in 10 minutes and a winning team would get an internship. And I wound up awarding 91 internships over the last three years of my career. Wow. And now at Florida Memorial University, they hired me to create the STEM, STEAM program. So we got to shout out to Dr. Cooper, the provost, and, and President Hardrick for bringing me there. But the point is this. I said, instead of doing a course right now, let me take the masterclass approach and do it every month, twice a month. Mm-hmm. And we create this masterclass, and it creates the impetus for the students to think about the fall and beyond. What kind of classes could we take? So we'll do one on AR, VR. We'll do one on STEM. We'll do one on a whole lot on a different technology. We'll do one on, on how, to, how to create a game. We'll do one on what is EA Sports. We'll do one on the, the, the NBA 2K. Yeah. And the point is that every month they'll get a chance to learn something. In, Mar- in the month of March, they'll learn about women in, in video games and yeah. women in esports. So they're going to get a whole lot of different things thrown at them. At the same time, we're going to wind up awarding over 35 internships. Mm. Okay? So it's another way, an innovative way to educating students yeah. without having them spend a whole semester doing it. So you can, anyone could sign up for the course. They already pay, it's already paid for it since you already paid tuition. And you're, you're meeting, what, on the first and last Saturday of every month, of every month in the, in the spring semester on a Saturday for six hours. Yeah. And they, they have, it's, 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 it's interesting because it's almost like you're doing a show. So I have a run a show. You have lunch. You have snacks there. No one wants to leave anyway. But the cool thing is that they get a chance to be educated in a different way, but also they get a chance to test their, their presentation skills, their how they, how they interact with people in terms of group dynamics, their writing skills, and, and how they think quick on their feet because they're going to need that. Yeah. And one of the things that, the, to my advantage, is that I have relationships with a lot of the publishers and the gaming companies. So I ask them, what is it that you're looking for in students? And the more I know, the more I can incorporate it in, in the masterclass. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're also telling the students what they would need and want. Right. So we 
And so the students will have a leg up. And that's what I love about it. Yeah, that that's really awesome, because I think about now where school, the, the educational experience has changed so much with COVID. Right. Mm-hmm. And even if it hadn't, what are the new opportunities in, in the world? And so now we look at this experience you're having with, with gaming and fun with that. But how do you now? applicate that to real life and how do you how do you create a living out of it i think it's awesome to be able to have this class where people can come in and get this real tangible knowledge and Mm -hmm. experience it's not some esoteric thing that we're going to take tests on and then you're going to graduate and pray you get a job right you're giving them a chance to walk right into a situation where you can go prove yourself by winning an internship right and then you go in and prove yourself on that ground and do that right one of the things that i love about what we're doing here at map esports network and i'm sure that you're going to be a part of this at some point Mm-hmm. is our absolute intention to touch and affect the community. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about these locations where people can go and game, mm-hmm. uh, young people in particular, and in particular these uh, disadvantaged or challenged neighborhoods. And mm-hmm. we want to be able to bring that broadband in there along with gaming. Mm-hmm. But then the next level is we don't want you just to come and play the games. Mm-hmm. We want you to learn how to create the games. Yes. And if you have an uh, affinity towards math, then we can send you that direction. Or if you like to be in publishing, we can send you that way. Or if you want to do coding, we can send you that way or if you want to be in part of marketing or advertising or what have you we can send you that way right. what do you think the application is from where you are on the university level mm-hmm. to bring it back to the neighborhood mm-hmm. to be able to get those kids now for some eight maybe ten years earlier right. on track to being in this industry somewhere I think the biggest thing is just like any other industry, creating these pathways. If you look at math, science, if you want to become a lawyer, you want to get in Congress, you want to work in government, there's there's always some kind of a program or some kinds of programs that provide opportunities for young people that are interested in, let's say, engineering or if they're interested in uh, STEM. There's programs. And I think now because the video game industry in terms of the academic side of it is new to many people, that there's many opportunities to create pathways for these young people. So if you start maybe K-12 through and doing summer camps and doing programs within the schools, within the school system, whether it's playing the game or if it's learning about different nuances of it. Mm-hmm. So by the time that young people go to college or even think about college, they've already been to the college campus, taking going to summer camps, going to camps during the throughout the year. And so that's one of the things that we'd like to do from, from a collegiate side of it. I'm looking at the K through 12. My dad, when I got my PhD, he kept saying to me, I want you to think about the, the K through 12 kids because in order for them to go to college, Mark, they're going to, they, they got to get out of the K through 12 system first. Right, right. So you need to at some point go back to that arena and address it, address those issues. Think about if you didn't, my, my dad was saying to me, he said, think about if you didn't have us as parents pushing you, who's pushing some of these kids that don't have what you had. And even the ones that do have two parent families, do they come from that space? Do they come from the gaming industry? Of course not. And so they're looking at it sideways. What is this? And so we have to find a way to educate parents on what this is. And what I found is that the doctor in front of my name helps, right? But be able to tell my journey within five minutes to parents. And when yeah. I tell them, I met a woman that said, hey, my son's going to ninth grade. Me and my husband don't know what to do. This woman's an educator. She's an executive at University of Miami. She's calling me in tears. What do I do with my son? And I and I explained to her, is there jobs out there? In five minutes, I explained to her. This woman bawled out and cried mm. in Miami. And this woman is, is already someone who's in education. And she's, oh my good, can you mentor? I said, yeah, I got you. I, yeah. I, I will mentor your son yeah. and now i have nine of his friends that i'm talking to now that are ninth grade and talking to them about their journey and then yeah. giving them opportunities to come to my school and and get college earn college credits yeah and and high school yeah so that's pretty exciting yeah and I, i'm a firm believer as well my wife and i believed in this that you you need to put their feet 
and their butts in the locations to where they could potentially be. Put their feet on the grounds. We took our boys to college campuses when they were uh, coming before high school, Mm. just going to see things. And I was doing Notre Dame football and NBC up there. I was so enamored by that school, the institution, the people, what Mm. they stood for. I brought them up there Mm. for a weekend and said, just walk around this campus and absorb this. Look at the people. Some of them look like you Mm. and you could be here, but you got to do the work. So you put them put put their feet on the ground, and then you mix some sports with it, right? So you, you put them in Notre Dame of, of all course, places, man. Of wow. course, man. Took them a lot of places. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna be thinking I could go anywhere right, after that. Right. That's awesome, right? What isn't that what the journey's about? Yes. All the toils and struggles that I've been through in my career, lots of great ups and those tough moments. When you have a chance to expose your 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 children to those things, or other friends will have to those things, that's that's the bl- greatest blessing of it all. Yes. Is that what you've been through has not been for nothing. Right. You can now expose them and give them a chance to see. Look, I can do this as well, or I can be here as well. And they may not choose to do that. So what you're doing with those guys who were in ninth grade is is giving them a chance to come put their feet on a college campus. Mm-hmm. They may not have ever had that shot if that conversation hadn't happened, right? Yeah, and, they and, would have had it a little bit only because they're, 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 because because the mom, right. Right, right? But as far as the gaming, the, 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 I think the the mother was stuck and father was stuck on my son's on Twitch all the time. He's playing all the time yeah. and they, they couldn't relate. So when I got on the phone with him, we did a Zoom together. Yeah. The father was just smiling. You're speaking his language. And I'm like, yeah, I'm speaking his language. Yeah. I said, I, I can speak your language, too. Right, a, right. You know, So I, I get what you're trying to get and I know what he's trying to get. And yeah. I said, once you have the same have that same conversation and you learn and understand what your son's doing is not for naught. And, and now they're they're very excited. And yeah. I'm excited because the sky's the limit. Yeah. So I need to. Uh, connect this mom with somebody who's on our team, mm-hmm. uh, Mitch Hagee, okay. who was just a great dude who's involved with our, just just doing unbelievable things. And his son, they have a great story. They were on my show uh, oh, recently yeah. too. And he was gaming all the time and dad's worried about what you, all this time you're wasting. And, and he's, pops, you need to look at this industry, man. It's doing this, it's doing that. He's like, what? He quietly goes off and does his research. Mm-hmm. They come back, have a heart-to-heart and discussion. And now this young man is a semi-pro player. Oh, wow. And the time means something because he's doing something with it. Wow. And they may go to college for it. You may not. You never know. But he he saw the industry and now Mitch is a part of our team. So these are the kinds of parental situations that can maybe benefit the child if they do it. I got a couple more quick things. Mm-hmm. College is not for everybody. Right. So what about the parent who's listening to this and saying, you know what, or somebody who's in high school and they're saying, you know what, college is not for me. Is there is there the potential for some sort of an esports trade school or mm-hmm. some kind of a, you know what I'm saying? It's yes. not necessarily a university experience, but something to get them involved right. with the industry without going to college per se. Right. And I think that's a good point. We, we spend so much time pushing college on yeah. everyone. Yeah. And, and, and there's other alternatives. There's community colleges, too, where if you're not ready, there's many reasons why people go to community colleges. They can go maybe because they're not ready. They may financially, maybe it's closer yeah. to home. Um, yeah. maybe because There's a number of reasons. And some of the greatest people on the planet have gone to community colleges. And if you don't, it's a trade schools, right? And so I would encourage anyone to, to, to learn your, a subject matter of what you're trying to do. So even if you don't want to go to college and you want to be an entrepreneur, where are you going to learn how to become an entrepreneur? Maybe you can take some classes. Maybe you can learn from someone that is an entrepreneur. Yeah. And so that there are a lot of people that aren't ready for college, but we're looking to create a certificate program. We're looking to create pathways for people to learn a trade. Yeah. And then there's companies like Google that are like, you know what, if you don't go to college, you can still work for us and you can get on the job training and still get to where you want to go to. And if you want to become an entrepreneur, you can. Yeah. So I'm, I'm starting to see a lot of companies that are now, Amazon's doing the same thing, saying, you know what, you don't have to go to college, come over here. So universities are now like, how do we differentiate ourselves when you got those kind of companies plucking our, our young people and telling 
telling them they don't have to go to college, but they get a chance to get on-the-job training. And I just think that if you're trying to do anything, like you said, your parents that put you in an environment where you want to be, I think it's so important to, to bring young people in communities, even if they don't want to go to school, but you bring them in an environment, yeah. even if it's not for you to go to college, right. but bring them in an environment where, the, where they can learn the nuances of it and mm-hmm. what it is. And I think that when we start doing that, and I think what they're doing at Mappy Sports is amazing because I think you can be that, that bridge yeah. to, to help create that. All right. And so my last question is this, the bridge to where? So on the fly, list as many potential job or positions that you could have in the world of esports right. Uh, right now. What would some of them be? I would say caster, someone like you, a newscaster. Sportscasters, well, you call them, call them casters, casters, right? Mark right. as a caster. Right. You can, you can marketing, event management, because you look at the event production. Right. Event um, management, event production. Okay. Right. You can be someone that's an entrepreneur in terms of putting these events together. Right. You could be a writer. Right. Uh, when you say a writer, what do you mean? Write, writing you, games? You can write in games. You can do you can do coding in games. You right. can be a game creator, game designer. Right. You also can, you could be someone who can write for a publication. For example, you have that at Map Esports, you have, a, you're going to have an esports magazine for exactly, example. Exactly. Right? And so there's so many, everything that you can do as far as career wise, if you go to college, if you want to be an engineer, you want to be a lawyer, you could be an attorney, you can be physical training, athletic training. Exactly. That's you know? part of the world too, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. So everything you can think of, an accountant, you, anything, you can easily become that. The cool thing about it is the industry is so new that, like I said, if this was baseball, this is inning number one. So the jobs, there are jobs out there that haven't even been created yet. And in terms of music, the music side of it, think about all the, all the games that you play and the music that's involved with the game. Mm-hmm. No one ever thought about doing a score or doing a score for scoring the, video scoring games. Scoring a video wow. game. People win Grammy Awards for this now. What? So there's so many different career paths you can take. I have a friend right now and they do athletic training and then now they're getting ready to go up to state uh, up to up, up to uh, by what's it, what's it uh, the new the new arena over in uh, near up in up in um here in Dallas, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah the uh, the uh, down in Arlington. In Arlington, yeah, right. The esports arena there. The esports yeah. arena and they're gonna be an athletic trainer. Mm-hmm. They're going to be training the athletes, yeah. the esports athletes. I have a friend that's a chiropractor, and they're and they're talking about the posture and the diet and the how you eat. And yeah. so there's so many different arenas that you can pursue this 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 yeah. this, this amazing career path. I started this podcast off uh, saying that life is a journey, yes, and it's not a phrase; it's real. And you exemplify that to a T from Thank everything you. you've been through and what you've experienced and how all those things have made you who you are today. And it has been great to sit across from you and have a, a face-to-face conversation. I hope everybody listening has been inspired about being able to embrace your journey and be able to just take time to sit back and own all of it. Yes. And then take that and move on to the next step. We are all going to have to meet that challenge with COVID because we have all been thrown into a situation we could have never imagined. Most of us, many of us have had to reimagine our lives, our careers, Mm -hmm. because things will not be the same. But one thing is for sure. Esports is exploding globally. Yes. And it's all over the world. And there are going to be opportunities for anybody who wants to be involved with it. And that's why Map Esports, Map Esports Future Eye Podcast Network, and the Map Esports Future Eye TV Network are all here. Mm-hmm. A massive platform to help you be involved. We want you to get plugged in. Dr. Mark, as yes. they call you in your class, man, it's been a pleasure. Yes. It has been an absolute pleasure. And we look forward to um, seeing more of what you're doing. You plugging in with us. We plugging in with you. I think we're going to talk about doing a show together to help promote some of those master yeah. classes that yes. you're doing. Yes. And I look forward to that. Thanks for being here today, man. Yeah. And as any, if, they, if people want to keep in contact with me on social media, on, on LinkedIn, Twitter, and what else am I on? I'm on Instagram. But my, my handle is the same. is Doc Spitzfire 06. Right. Spitzfire. Yes. Doc. 
D-O-C-S-P-I-T-S-F-I-R-E-06. And the 06 is because of the year my fraternity was founded, December 4th, 1906, at oh, Cornell right. University, Ithaca, New York. So, well, yes. <laughs> you spit some fire today. So, yes. once again, man, thanks so much. Thank you. And thanks to everybody for listening. Make sure you keep in touch with everything we're doing here on the MAP Esports Podcast Network. We've got great shows across the platform to talk business, talk technology, and of course here we're talking about the journey, and we did that today. Once again, a big shout out to uh, Sia and Aaron with Innovation Media Enterprises for their help uh, bringing our podcast to life. These Those guys are awesome, and if you need help with a podcast, make sure you look up Enterprise uh, Innovation Media Enterprises. All right, that's going to do it. I'll catch you guys next time on another episode of All In With Esports, and until then... Take care. Thanks for listening to All In With Esports. Please remember to subscribe to your favorite podcast channel, and we would love to hear from you about this or other shows on the Esports Future Eye Network.